Are you happy? Magic Seeds takes a good look at everyday challenges and gives solid advice on how to navigate through them, be it relationships, career, parenting, or just not feeling happy inside. I'm Dr. Adam Grise. And I'm Laura Grise. Please join us weekly to discuss everyday situations that seem to be getting in the way of feeling happy and peaceful. We'll provide magic seeds and a reliable roadmap for you to follow to stay on a healthy path for your life. Welcome back to Magic Seeds. Today, what are we talking about today, Karch? Today, we are talking about loving yourself, self-love, which sounds, I don't know, cliche, I guess. Everybody talks about it. Everybody spits out self-love. How sad is it that (laughs) self-love is cliche? It is sad, (laughs) but it's self-love, I think, when people go into it, is very surface. Now I know that. Now I know that it is very surface. People spit out the word self-love. I love myself. I look at myself in the mirror. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. <laughs> and gosh that, darn it. People like me. <laughs> people are, what, Jack um, Hanley. For you to be you know, on the precipice of turning 47, yes. I can say that. You can um, say that. And you just say, just now. Yes. You like, you get it. Why? Why, like, why just now? Why? I mean, you've been practicing it and spouting it out. You've been uh-huh. talking it. And I know you've been practicing it, but what makes it different now? Well, I thought I was practicing it. And I would say over a year now, I would say solid year and three months now, I have been solidly every day practicing meditation, yoga, meditation, breathing, yoga, meditation every day. You know, there are a couple of days here and there where I miss, but I've solidly been, you know, having a practice. And what I thought was, you know, that I had good self-confidence and I love myself, blah, blah, blah. But what I realized going into, I did a meditation recently, a really, really intense, deep meditation, well, this past weekend, and it was seven and a half, eight hours a day of just sitting there. And you can't say they're sitting there with your thoughts. You're not sitting there with your thoughts. I mean, you're just literally sitting there. and. When you, but your thoughts are there. Thoughts come up. Thoughts come up, and when you meditate, you're taught to have your thoughts come up, but then allow them to drift away. Right. So there are four parts of our brain. You know how our brain operates, and when we walk around as Americans, we function (laughs) as Americans. I'm sure it's a lot of other other cultures, but. We function on the beta waves and the beta waves are just, you know, normal, whatever we function. When I think of America, when I say that, I actually think of Wall Street. I don't know. You're just going from point A to point B. You have work on your mind and literally nothing exists other than just like this unidimensional life, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could be wrong. But I I mean, even if you're a farmer in the middle of America, it's still the same thing, right? Because you have a lot to do. There's so much to do, so much to take care of. And maybe they're not folks as much, but they're still, I think the point is you live inside the construct in your mind well, of I've, what you need to do and get done. And whether you're in, on Wall Street or not, it's really that you're living in your mind. I meant in the context of the chaos. Think of New York, Wall Street. I mean, it is nuts. So when you're walking on Wall Street, people going in all different directions, they're walking fast, they've got Starbucks in their hands, blah, 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 blah. Total chaos. Yeah, it's the right? epitome of, it's it like the, the most exaggerated form of what we're all kind of I doing. I think so, at least the farmers in nature and fresh air, right? I mean, 
because we even moved to Raleigh, right? Yeah. And it's such a step back from New York. Yes. But it's not like we're in a different, in an entirely different culture in the sense of people are still completely consumed with their lives. They're running yes. around, they're stressed out. Right. They're thinking of a million things at once. They have all these, you know, windows open, so to speak, like yes, on the computer. Right. And it forces us to be in our head, problem solving or reaching for something or avoiding something. Chickens constantly. with their heads cut off. Yeah. Total, right. So that's the beta waves that we function on all the time, right? Then you have the alpha waves where, you know, that's just rest and relaxation. You know, just like you're in that state of, ah, uh, you know, I mean, how often are we in that? Just that, right. <laughs> just in and of itself. When we talk about the seasons, like just that winter, letting go enough that we can just sit there and just relax. But our rest is sitting in front of a TV. Right. You know, so it's Checking not even, out. we're not even hitting those alpha waves, are we? Because we're, it's not like we're just sitting there on a lounge chair in front of the ocean. How often does that happen? One time a year for a week, you know, if that. So that's the alpha waves. And then you have the theta waves, and those are like the dreamy waves where you're getting healing therapies. You know, you're getting a massage or Reiki or something like that. So the healing like you lose time and space a little bit. Yes. You're just kind of in that weird, right. that weird in between zone. For an hour, hour and a half, you know, once a month. I remember hearing. <laughs> if um, you're lucky, if you're lucky. I think when I was doing a meditation once in San Diego mm -hmm. and the teacher was talking about, I think it was Thomas Edison. I think he even put like a ball in his hand or something or something in his hand that so as he was drifting off to sleep, he tried to stay in that space in between mm -hmm. awake and sleep. And if he went too deep, he would drop, drop the ball it. and wake up. <laughs> And it would be because that's the thing. You enter these deeper states and yes. that's where he would be the most creative and come up with these inventions. Right, yeah. right. Okay, so that's the theta waves, okay. So then you have the delta waves. And those delta waves, there are only a few, you know, indigenous cultures that really, truly tap into this. And, you know, like the South American cultures where they have these tribal ceremonies or meditations or plant medicine, psychedelics. So that quadrant of your brain, you know, when people do dream work, you know, they tap into, oh, they pay attention to their dreams and they actually have workshops and, you know, the communities where you sit there and you talk about your dreams and you analyze, not analyze your dreams because then you're getting into the mind, but you talk about your dreams because that state, you've got dream work or dreams, um, meditation, meditation, it taps into that quadrant. At least allows to drop into it. You have to drop right. through. I mean, when you start meditation, you're in a beta state. Yes. Then hopefully after a while, and it's not the point of meditation, right? But you would think if you stop holding on to the thoughts, right. you sink a little deeper in that restful state. Right. You say you spend there, things start opening up. You enter into kind of the other dimensions where you get into that, that theta state. Right. And if you can go beyond that, well, I mean, boy, see, oh boy. So Adam, that was, that's, I mean, for 2000 plus years, you have the asanas and yoga. That's what it was developed for is to prepare you to get you into that state. So already, if you think about it with the asanas, what do the teachers always teach you? You have thoughts coming in, allow them to drift off, stay with your breath, stay present, right? It's already starting to take that mind out. So yeah, I read this story that you have these teenager kids in India and because they're so crazy, right? Like the teenage state is just like nutso and it's uncontrollable and there's nothing you can do. But there's a group of people in India who actually send their teenagers away on a farm for a couple of years. People are like, wait a second, like where, where is this? How can I sign up? I want to get I it. I would like to do that because we have three daughters. So we're going to have, 
yeah. If we prepay in advance, <laughs> do we get a deal? Yes, <laughs> I hope so. Discount for you. So that's kind of what that is. It's already starting to take that mind out. So when you talk about, you know, where you're getting into the meditative state, you know, you slip into the theta, but the asanas already start to take that mind out. You know, that mind is uncontrollable. So when you, right. And when you want to slip into that quadrant, you cannot have your mind. Your mind is only going to allow you to, it's so manipulative, our minds. So when you slip into this quadrant of the brain, and it's not easy to slip into it. And like I said, there are only a few indigenous cultures who actually practice this. But you've got the dream work, you have the meditation, you have the altered states, you know, like plant medicine, psychedelics. It's something that when you're on the psychedelics, when you're on the plant medicine, there is absolutely no access point for your mind. Right. I mean, that's the point of using plant medicines. Yes. Is to... You don't even have a chance. You have no control over that mind. I think of this a lot. It's a breath of fresh air. You know, a lot of the work we do, it's like how to start taking charge of your life and start raising yourself, like being the parent to yourself, because you can't trust your current state. Your current state is kind of like the child. So when we're like raising our real children, I think it's the same type of thing that goes on. Like when we're challenging a child to step out of their comfort zone, right? they don't want to, right? It's... The norm is they're going to want to stay comfortable. I want to stay with mom and dad. I don't want to go away. And, you know, they get to a point where they do a lot of times. They want to challenge things and they're ready. But think about when you're trying to have a child do something that they're not ready for. They don't think they're ready for, but you know it's time to challenge them. You kind of have to supersede and you know they're going to be safe. But you push them into the water, so to speak. And you know that you're going to be there if anything goes wrong. And they're ultimately going to be so enlightened by it in the sense of they're going to come, oh my God, I went in the pool today. It was the greatest day ever. Or, oh my God, I went to school. It wasn't that scary. Oh, and I made friends. Right. Or it was really tough, but then all of a sudden now they're in a whole new dynamic. Now they're going to a school and they're meeting new people. So even if it is rough a little bit, it expands their horizons. By the same token, we're operating in this beta state. And we become so dependent on it. We're so safe there. It's so comfortable. We're never going to challenge that. And so, you know, when you're saying like, we need to get past that mind, we need to dive deeper than the mind if we want to access these deeper parts. And ultimately today, we're going to be talking about self-love. To be able to love ourselves past the parameters, the limitations set up by our mind. When these cultures you're talking about, these indigenous cultures that would use plant medicine, or you don't need medicine, but just meditation. Mm-hmm. It's the way to ensure we get past that resistance right. so we could jump in. And a lot of times, once you jump in, you're like, oh, I didn't know I was going to be safe there. I didn't know I'd be okay. I don't even think there's a consciousness when you're in the beta state. No. That's I why think. the first step is people start talking the talk, right? right. They say, like, people are just unconscious, chicken without a head. Right. So then people are like, I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. So they seek and they read a book, right? Oh, God, I read The Power of Now, you know, or just whatever it is. Right. And they're like, oh, there's a bigger world out there. Okay, now they're aware. Mm-hmm. They're still completely in the mind. And in fact, their mind has invited in this new concept. That, now it attached oh, to something else. Right, so it's like, oh, sure, yeah, totally. We'll be spiritual. Right. We'll be spiritual. Come right in. Let's just, let's do it in the confines of our home. And then we're like, okay, and then so you talk about it and talk about it, but you never experience it because it's still within the mind, the very tricky mind. 
Then after you've built this construct for a long time and realize I'm still not getting anywhere, why aren't I feeling that peace I was promised in this book? And you're like, oh, I've just pulled it in. I've just been talking the talk. Mm-hmm. Then you start walking the walk. And then you're like, okay, now I'm doing it. Now I'm practicing self-love. Right. And when we talk about self-love, you know, I like to think of people that are religious will say God is love. So that's your path to God. Mm-hmm. Spiritualists will say consciousness is love. Mm-hmm. So your path to ultimate consciousness, God consciousness is going to be love. And so in that sense, we're coming to that place of non-resistance. Total acceptance, allowance is love. And our mind doesn't allow anything and everything. It's not unconditional. It says, I'll love. I like this idea. Okay, dad. Okay, I like this concept of love. And yeah, we're going to be so happy now. We'll be peaceful. So I'm going to totally practice loving myself. But I have a couple conditions here because I don't really feel comfortable with when people judge me and I don't like that. And those are people are mean. Also, I think humor, you know, when you start and I'm defense mechanisms, well, I'm a real big believer in laughing at yourself. Right. But I think that that's a little red flag of you're laughing at yourself, but you're using that humor to be, um, why can't I find the word sarcastic humor to kind of make fun of yourself. Right. You're coming down to the level where you meet the resistance. And instead of being in a fight with it, you're like, oh, if I just laugh Laugh at at this, then I'm being okay. Oh, I think of Jim Gaffigan. I think of Jim Gaffigan. I mean, I love him. We love him. When he comes on the stage, I already know what the first thing he's going to do. I'm fat. I'm fat. You know, so I was walking down the street and I'm fat. You know, just, I mean, but and you know that that's something that, you know, is eating him a lot. That brain, you know, that mind of his is just eating him alive. He doesn't fully, unconditionally love himself. Well, let me ask you this. Can you get to a point when you do love yourself, when you can come full circle? Yes. And then you can make fun of it because who cares? Yes, I think so. So it's not I'm fair. Not, I'm not there yet. But it's not fair to say <laughs> that, that Jim Gaffigan hasn't gotten there. Yes, true. But, but to your point, a lot of people end up in that zone where they're like, okay, you know what? I'll laugh first yes. so you can't laugh at me. Exactly. And nine chances out of 10, it's probably like that, I would say. I would have to... You know, I don't want to say that because it's not fair, but in general, mm. yeah, most people don't do that deep work. They it's find like you a stop right there. Right. They find a workaround. Yes. And it's a decent workaround. It if is. you're going to stop there, make it fun, make it enjoyable. I did that for years. I did that for years. How I, so? I would say we just got a new car. And I guess my most recent joke was how come you can't trade in your body? You know, like you trade in a car. So. Yeah, I, you know, I was so disappointed in my body and how it functioned and just like the minivan, you know, it wasn't starting, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't functioning. So, okay, so we sold it and we got a new car that is fantastic. Why can't I do that with my body? Why can't I trade it in? And so that was your, you know, from this meditation, it was this massive awakening for you because, you know, again, for a year, mm. you've been diving deeper. You've been walking the walk. But even again, walking the walk only took you so deep because the mind is like, okay, you want to walk here? I'm going to let you walk. And it gives us like a little crumb of allowing us to practice self-love. Right. But it's really has some firewalls to the big ones It's that are non-negotiables for the mind. Big time. I mean, that is the most recent joke about myself. 
throughout the years, if I look back, I made so many jokes about myself. But this last one, this was a really, really intense meditation. It was long. It was, you know, eight hours a night and, you know, really just sinking into a deep, deep meditation, probably one of the deepest. What did you realize? What was the aha? What was the, like the the vision? I went in there with intentions and I went in there with a few questions, you know, where is my happiness or how can I show up better in life or what's getting in the way? And I just said, I wasn't trying to answer them. That's what you do in meditation. You ask a question, you ask, you ask the universe, you ask the universe questions. (laughs) Which I used to really, really laugh at that word, but now it's true. You ask these questions, but you do not try to answer because your mind's going to answer Right, because then you're pulled right back into the beta world. Pulled right back into the beta world. And so I asked these questions, and as I was sinking deeper and deeper, I realized that I don't love myself. My recovery from my injury was never good enough. You know, I had these expectations of where I wanted to get to. And, you know, the sad thing is, this is 28 years ago. (laughs) 28 years ago, and I'm not happy with my recovery. When in fact, my body is a hero. How I recovered, I realized I was ungrateful. I realized I shamed my body and how it functioned. I was embarrassed. You know, I mean, for years and years, what do I do? How do I run? I run at nighttime. I run early in the morning when it's dark, or I run on trails where I know people aren't around. So they can't see me run. So they can't look at that girl, you know, and how she moves, you know, what's wrong with her body. And when no one cares, (laughs) I'm the one who cared. You know, I'm the one who shamed myself all these years. So it was such an awakening and just such a sad time when I realized how much I didn't appreciate myself and appreciate my body and appreciate all the hard work, you know, all the years of the hard work that I put in and all the hard work that my body put in. and. So I've completely changed once I had this weekend. I had just a total massive breakdown. I mean, I don't cry, but I cried for four and a half hours, just sobbed. It was uncontrollable. I tried to stop and it would just come out and just dumped out, you know, like massively. And I started talking nicely to my legs, you know, and calling them heroes because that's what they are. My body is a hero. I mean, it's, Ludicrous to think anything other than that, but I never had any awareness of this all these years. It was really nuts. That's, uh, I mean, it almost leaves me speechless. Mm-hmm. It's, I love that so much. And as a result, which I know, you know, people could say, nah, come on, that's BS, but my body is functioning better than it has in 28 years. I mean, my legs are powerful. They're not uncoordinated. I just went out for a run yesterday and powered through. I mean, something that I've never done. I mean, I trip, I fall. I mean, you know, I come out with scrapes and bumps and bruises all the time. And yesterday just, I mean, they functioned. It's just not it's, to me. It's what we saw when we had awakenings in San Diego, working mostly with, you know, spinal cord injuries. Right. And we sat there and we said, and of course I didn't have much clout other than if people just thought I had any wisdom, but I wasn't in their shoes. I wasn't, you know, paralyzed from the neck down. But our whole point of awakenings was, hey, we'll help you physically. We can do anything that's necessary physically. We can meet you where your body's at and stimulate its recovery to whatever ability it has. However, your potential will be limited unless you learn to love yourself again. But that's just a trite statement. I mean, really. It's, it's like window, what do they call it? Window washing? It's window decor. It's something, it's, it's only skin deep. It's just there for like 
you know, it just, I mean, it looks okay. nice. It sounds oh, nice. Myself. Oh, I love myself. Window dressing. Nice. Window dressing. Phew, got it. <laughs> that's all it is. And even though there's something within that, and yes, like that's what we're saying now. Mm-hmm. And we would say, hey, if you want to gain more function, stop focusing so much on gaining the function and just fall into that space first. But that's so scary because you have to let go of this driving momentum, this fear of I need to get better. I need to get better to a certain degree, like you're saying, you had a vision. right. And it's just, you know, when you had this massive awakening all of a sudden and it releases and relaxes your system, all of a sudden you have access to your system in a way you haven't in 28 years. I had this deep sadness the day after the second meditation and I sit here and I am with clients and I ask them all the time, do you love yourself? And I asked them to see if the answer ever changes. You know, in the beginning, no, I don't love myself. This is why. And as time goes on and I'm working with them, well, I'm starting to see, you know, some things that I like about myself. But no. That's so, again, it's like there's talking the talk, right? So you introduce it to people and it talks the talk. And then there's walking the walk where now they're starting to like, okay, I'll do it. And then they get comfortable in their comfort zone of self-love. Right. Like for years. And so I guess maybe even the magic seed for today is everything's going to start with talk the talk. So talk the talk, walk the walk, and then when you're ready, dive the dive. Like dive. Dive Dive. in. Like take your own hand and jump off that cliff. And what does that mean? It's jumping off a cliff. How do you get there? That's the point. It's jumping off a cliff. And in that sense, it's you're entering a realm that you've never lived in before. You've only lived in your mind's world. Mm-hmm. And that mind world has expectations, it has conditions. Right. And to live outside of that is really scary because then all of a sudden you don't know north from south anymore. You don't know up from down. You don't know where the earth beneath your feet is. But that's the point. That's where the magic happens in life. It's where the seeds develop, right? Mm-hmm. When we're looking above ground, we can't find, the seeds can't do what they need to do above ground. Right. You have to go into a different realm. It's like, oh, I don't want to go down there. I can't breathe underground. There's no air there. There's no sun. But if you can dive down, dive deep beneath the mind, that's where you're going to find these parts of yourself that you haven't been able to love for lifetimes. And I'll tell you that once I had this awakening, I had another deep sadness. I mean, I literally broke down in, after the meditation and you have the support group, you know, and you talk, you share your experiences. I couldn't even talk. I don't cry. I mean, I keep myself together. Strong like bull. I I do. I am strong like bull. I was, but I crumbled. (laughs) I crumbled. But the sadness, there were so many levels of sadness, but one of the levels of sadness was, oh my God, I have done my work for years. I mean, that's what I do. You know, I consider myself selfish because I'm constantly working on myself, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally. And the sadness came from, I don't think I've done any work. And now I have this long road ahead of me because now I just sunk into this layer and look how much work I have ahead of me. But it didn't turn out to be as true as what I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's almost like a ball rolling down the hill now. But it was that moment of sadness of what have I been doing? You've been wasting my life. No, you've been talking the talk and walking the walk in the sense of it's like you've been creating your navigation system. You've been creating your infrastructure for how this is all going to like the direction this has to go. And then you practice kind of sending it's like an irrigation system. You set up the irrigation system and you start putting water through it a little to make sure it it works. 
And then you have to go to that deep level, but you could never have dropped in to the level you just dropped in this weekend if you hadn't done all that pre-work. I think you're right. I think you're right. You can't just do it. When I started, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years and I remember in the beginning, I can't even say the word, but my buddy would call me like when I was first doing this and I was, I was talking the talk so much because I was laying down the foundation, the infrastructure here. And he would call me Zen Jerkoff. Like, I was like, like, okay, Zen Jerkoff. And he might've even said a different word than that, but we'll just use that. And that's where I was at. I had to lay down the foundation and that's how it looks in the beginning. And then I got comfortable with it. I had the foundation. So I didn't need to talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. Then I was practicing it, but I couldn't go really deep. Like you're saying, it took even this last year, right? right? And we started this show talking about letting a marriage die. Right, right. It has been now nine, 10 months. And I don't know if without these nine, 10 months, which have been probably the hardest nine month stretch I've encountered so far in my life, I think. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I think that there's no way I would have done the work at this level because it would have been too easy to cling on to you, to the idea of you, the marriage, our family. And it would have kept me enough above ground to not sink that deep, like you're saying, into that Delta state. It's scary. It's so scary. And I no, kicked and screamed. Being in the Delta state is not scary. But, Getting there is. But you know, the active, right. Because you're letting go of your home, right? right? My home, like, which is like my is, mind. What is that? Del- it's like dropping into like the depths of the earth. Like what am I letting go and where, where am I going? Look, think of it. If our home is represented by our identity, our attachments, mm-hmm. right? Our relationships. And we're saying the only way to go under the surface is to let go of all those identities and attachments. Mm-hmm. That is really scary. I had to let go of you. In the interim, my mind was throwing temper tantrum after temper tantrum of being mad at you for ruining my home, mm-hmm. right? Me being uncomfortable with mm-hmm. this process, me not knowing what's going to be on the other side. Because again, I'm like, I need to create my home above the ground. And all I know is I'm letting go of the only home I know. And the big aha that we ultimately get to, and it's what I tell my patients every day, again, like you're saying, like I'm doing this work like anyone else's, is my home is really the Delta state is really underground. My home is in the infinite world without form. It's where I can just be in a state of love. That's my safety. That's has to be the foundation. When that becomes a foundation, then you can play in the world of form. You can create these forms and you won't get so attached to them that they will prevent you from coming back to the formless again, to that place where you're just with yourself. And then you even let go of yourself there. Mm-hmm. So you're just consciousness or love. That's where you want to go. If you're religious, that's coming back to God. You know, the part in Moana where they're at, they climb that huge rock cliff, whatever. And then they die Maui, jump, Maui knows what's at the bottom, right? So he jumps and woohoo, you know, and I'm still falling. But he already knows what's going to happen, right? He jumped with the confidence. I've already done this. I know. But Moana didn't, right? She had to just trust that Maui knew what he was talking about and she was going to be okay. I think about that moment all the time because would I have trusted to just jump and find out what happens on the other side and then to know that you can get back out, right? right? You don't know. You don't know. But, you know, I kind of look at that as, you know, when you and I are working with people, can they trust us like Maui? You know, knowing that we're walking the walk, we're talking the talk, we're diving in, 
and then can the people that we work with right the word good sharper like right. you get a sharper to go up mount everest you're like you've been up this mountain so many times right. you know how to handle whatever we're going to encounter i trust you right still no guarantee because things can happen right but you're like okay you can be my guide but i tell my patients all the time i'm like hey listen you're probably going to walk to the edge of the cliff numerous times and you're not going to jump your mind's going to come up with a way of saying like oh well let me just you know, I got to change my foot gear. Uh, I got to make sure of this. Let me check the wind conditions. Let me, mm-hmm. right? Your mind is going to start bargaining with you to say, yeah, yeah, we're totally jumping. We're totally jumping. Most people won't do it. And ultimately the mind is probably going to win until your resolve is like Moana. And by the way, if we could talk about Moana every time, <laughs> I would be, I'm, that's like my top three moves. So if you don't get to that point where you're just so sick of being sad or so sick of feeling numb, n- numb or dis-ease <laughs> inside. I felt numb for months. You for get months. to a point where you're just like, this is not an option. No, right. And you know, to take your life is not an option, mm-hmm. but to live in this hell or purgatory isn't an option. So you get to a point where you're like, screw it. Right. I'm going to go to the other side and I don't know what's going to happen. I can't tell you how many times I've had a conversation with myself. It's like, I don't know. If this kills me, then so be it. But I refuse to live mm-hmm. scared any longer. Right. And it's just, you get to that point, you're like, Moana, like, I'm just jumping in because I believe so deeply in moving forward yes. that I'm willing to take that chance. And so far, every time I've made that leap and anytime anyone I've worked with has made the leap, it opens up my life, their lives it's not exponentially. Easy. It's not easy. And I'll tell you that leading up, you know, the last one year, I would say, and this is no exaggeration, I know you know this, but in Al showed up in my life every day, every day leading up to this meditation. And an owl in the spiritual world means mega transformation. Do you know that? I mean, I, I do because you say it oh, all the okay. time. So, like, there's our owl. There's I mean, Libby. So I knew I was headed into a mega transformation. And that's not easy to let that go. And I knew when I was going into the meditation, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that mega transformation. There were some times where I'm like, oh, just let it happen. I'm so tired of this. But for the most part, scared, stiff. And then going into the meditation, I had to keep on breathing and convincing myself that I can do this. I mean, it was like a major coaching experience, you know, self-coaching, you can do this. And you know, just feeling nauseous, you know, leading up to it. And, you know, do I really want to do this? And what am I, I mean, I felt like all night I was just in a major state of purgatory. It was horrible. It was horrible. And it still was the next day, even after the meditation. But, you know, a few days later, I realized that it was a thousand percent worth it to go through that, even though it was hard. It always is. I always wish I can show the patient, whoever I'm working with, show them what it's going to feel like on the other side. Because then I know they'll go through it, but you can't. You can't bottle that you, up. You can't. You can't I mean, bo- if we and could, again, we would be billion trillionaires. But, but kind <laughs> of part of the point to claim your life so deep, to love yourself so unconditionally requires that leap of faith. Right. It, you just can't have what it any other way. Do? What would you do for yourself? Right. Would you... Would you risk it all? Would you risk to, it all? I've always said that. I was like, to have you know happiness. what? If I die in this process... I'll know that I died claiming myself. I know I died trying to love myself and maybe I failed. Maybe I came up short, but I can live with that. If my last breath is I went for it, I can live with that. I tried my best. I, I, right. I was doing it in honor of myself to love myself. And that's what this all comes down to yes. in life. There's so many ways we're 
there's ways we're aware that we don't love ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're not at first. Then we're like, oh, the superficial ways we don't love ourselves. Then there's like the next layer that's like, oh, I know I don't love myself there, but I'm not ready for that. <laughs> right. Then there's probably just scores and scores and scores of area that are within our life that we don't love ourselves, that we're not even aware of, just leagues under the sea that we're just not even, we haven't even touched upon yet. And when we get there, it's like, oh my God, I cannot believe I haven't even ventured into this part of myself because it's been on lockdown. Right. The mind has created this firewall. Yes. And that's the point of diving the dive. If you've been talking the talk and walking the walk, and yet you still feel like, why am I not? I feel like I'm just circling the wagons. And to your point of you spent nine months just do, or a year doing this meditation every day, and I do my best to walk the walk because otherwise I would be a charlatan of, you know, I can't sit here and talk to my patients and guide them right. through this. And even so, and I let them know this, once they engage in this process, I'm like, we're doing this together because I'm not stopping doing this. It's not like I've gotten to a place that now I'm like, let me show you the way. I'm just like, I'm doing the work and I will give you everything I'm learning along the way. You and I laugh at that. When someone new comes into our lives, we say, oh boy. Oh boy, you don't, you You don't. have no idea. If you want to be friends with us. (laughs) You're about to go through the process. You're going to go through it. And it's, you know, (laughs) unless you want to. But there's something to be said for, you know, to your point, like, oh my God, I've been doing all this work for years and years. There's people that I work with that are like, man, I feel like you just keep telling me the same thing. And you know, when I'm in here, I totally get it. And I get my life. I'm not. And then, oh, what's wrong? It's like, this is how it goes. You spend enough time in a certain place. And after a while, it's like your weight gets enough there that it breaks through and you fall to the next layer until you kind of realize, oh, I get this process. I'm ready to just jump now. I'm not going to wait for it just to go layer by layer. It's consciousness. It's a layer of consciousness. And you slip into a next layer of consciousness and then the next. And you almost feel like you've been sleeping your whole life. Every time you wake up. I mean, that's awakenings. Awakenings. You know, every time you wake up, you think, wow, I can't believe I was sleeping through that. There's not one person I've ever worked with that has done this journey, done this process that hasn't come out the other side and is like, now I'm living. Or not one person that regrets. No, everyone. And it's (laughs) like, and people are facing leaving their life partner, having to cut people out of their lives that society says you're not allowed to cut out of your lives or to let go of professions that they know are toxic for them or jobs. It's like people have to make massive decisions that are going to affect the form of their lives. And the thing is, is no matter how much it destroys the fabric of their outer world, everyone comes out the other side like, oh my God, that's when I started living. And they build something up and what they build up in the aftermath is something that's so much more closely aligned to the seed of their soul because they sunk in and started their life from that seed. There's just no substitute for that. Mm-hmm. It's sitting in the stillness. It's and sitting waiting in for the stillness. The answer, not muscling through the answer, you know, with your mind, but waiting for the answer. And that answer might take deathly long. Well, that's but waiting for the answer. It will come if you wait for the answer in the realm of the mind. Right. The world of the mind is I need answers. We need to be moving forward. I need to be productive Look outwardly. Look at our society now. I mean, instant gratification. We need, we need. But that's now. what happens when people start this work and they're doing it on their own. Like, I'm going to meditate now. I'm going to meditate. And they do it. But again, they're meditating in like their mind is taking score. Mm-hmm. And after doing it for a week, if they even make it a week type of thing, right. their mind is like, um, okay, this is boring. And 
look how much time we're wasting and look what's building up in our lives. We have all these things to take care of. No one's going to follow through on it while it's still within the realm of the mind. And that's the work. When you say like it takes a year or whatever, it's little by little you start getting more comfortable in that space outside of the mind until you realize, oh, mm-hmm. the answer is not finding peace within the mind. Right. The answer is finding peace while the mind is just present, but you're not within its domain. Right. It's in your domain now. Send it out to the farm. Send, Send the mind out to the Indian farm. <laughs> okay, so I think we're pretty vague in a lot of what we said, but I mean, there's so many ways are. that we don't love ourselves. There are the obvious ways, the superficial ways. You know, you talk about you walking and you were paralyzed from the neck down. I mean, there's no one in this world that wouldn't understand you having some issues with that. I'll tell you right now, I've never had anything like that happen to me, but my brother, older brother, thanks Jim, used to make fun of me for the way I walked because I walked on my toes. And like, oh, you walk like you have a stick up your butt. <laughs> he gave me such a complex about it that I still to this day practice how I walk. He does. He practices <laughs> it all the time. I feel like I just came up with a, I finally like it settled. And uh-huh. once a year, I'm always like, say to Laura, we're like walking on a hike. I'm like, Laura, look how I'm walking now. I came up with a new way to walk. (laughs) I'm recruiting these muscles instead of these muscles. (laughs) Here, watch me. (laughs) And it always looks like an avatar in the movie. But like walking down the runway. It's like I constantly do that. And then it came to a point where I was like, okay, I'm not walking now. I'm not trying to change my walk to not walk how I was being made fun of walking. Now it's walking because I want, it's out of love for my body. I love the game of being mechanically correct. I love putting that conscious awareness into my body. your mind out of it. Right, just being with it, exactly. And feeling, feeling, you know, settling in what, oh, I love that statement. Think with your heart, right? Think with your heart. Think with your heart. And how does it feel? Does it feel right? And I wasn't able to love myself, right? Practicing love, but then, huh, don't love I'm walking if unless I'm walking a certain way. You know, I was blessed with good genetics and I would always have like a six pack in college and stuff, but that was a curse because then I was like, oh, I'm the guy with the six pack. Right. Gotta have a strong and keep my abs tight. Right. I wanted a certain feedback and I didn't want to not have that. So all of a sudden I couldn't just let myself relax. It took me years to relax my abdomen. Right. There are so many ways we don't love ourselves. And if we can sit in the silence long enough in the stillness, they start popping to the surface which is really uncomfortable because then you realize, oh no, I can't let this, I can't let that. So uncomfortable. That's the mind. Even when you came back with this, like I said to you, listen, I think this is going to be easier than you think once you drop in. Mm-hmm. But the initial response is always, I don't know if I could accept this. I don't know if I could accept, I just realized I don't love my body because after the injury and I just don't know if I can go there. That's always the first response is I don't want to let go of this because you're letting the attachment die. I would know I was very ready to let it go because I was so embarrassed of how embarrassed of my body. <laughs> you know, it was so sad to me. It was, I think that's maybe, the, well, I'm sure the tears were, you know, just years and years of repressing, but a lot of the tears kept on just a sadness for how I trashed my body. I mean, I would never talk to our children that way. Ever. So, and I was so embarrassed. How about myself. this as a practice to give everyone out there an exercise to do? Write down all the ways you don't love yourself unconditionally. Write down all the ways you don't, you don't like, you are embarrassed, you. The conditions you put, the way you feel you have to show up, 
or that you have to avoid showing up, the way that you don't want to be seen. Right. Write down all the conditions and just start there. I think that's a great idea. Right. I always, when I'm working with patients, I always talk about the breakfast club when Ali Sheedy empties her bag on the table. It's Mm -hmm. like, let's just empty the bag. Let's just throw it all on the table. We're not going to judge it. We're just, let's just see what we're working with. And then we'll figure out what we need to release, what we want to kind of take kind of nuggets, what wisdom we have in there. Mm -hmm. But ultimately we got to bring everything up and out so we can clear the space for our legs to work again, right? right? For the love to come into every aspect of our being, of our life. So that's an exercise. And basically it's talk the talk. Yeah, that's the start. Start walking the walk. And when you're ready, dive the dive, which is going to be releasing and then sinking deep, deep, deep in into nothingness, which is really a meditation. Right. So to develop that practice of meditation, not just for the mind's desire, which is I'm doing it so I don't have high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it so I can find inner peace. I'm doing it so I can say I meditate. Mm-hmm. It's, or I'm doing it to find abundance, right? I mean, how much we've oh, done that one. Past year, absolutely. Right? And it's to do it just to be in a different space. That's it. That's the agenda is just doing it to learn another realm to live within and add that to your life. So dive the dive, people. And I'll tell you, just a little light at the end of the tunnel. I walk in crowds now. I was walking in a city the other day, and I will tell you, I was so proud of my body. It functioned really well. And it wasn't just because it was functioning well. It was just this shift of it's like you so were proud, proud first. of where you've come. I'm proud of where you're at. I'm proud of you know, the journey you've taken. You and know, then it really responded. And it responded. It's like it that Japanese fun. water experiment yes. where it's like you say love. And we don't even have to talk about the water experiment, but- for anyone who doesn't know it out there, there was an experiment where they would like write love on a glass of water and they would write hate on it, or you play different type of music. And then they would, under a microscope, look at the crystallized structure water of the molecules. water droplets, the water molecules, uh-huh. and how they shift and change. And no matter what, we don't even have to go there. It's so experiential. If someone comes in the room and is like, hey, I love you, <sighs> and it just makes you feel a certain way. If they're like, I hate you, that makes you feel a certain way. Right. And in that sense, how are we talking to ourselves? So remember, when we're writing that the exercise of writing everything down, it's all the beliefs you have. The self-talk, what are you saying to yourself? But right. also, what are those thoughts that you have about yourself? What are the ones that you would never tell somebody? You know, what right. are you hiding? Right, what are you, what hiding, are you hiding from? from? What are you from keeping your, hidden? Yeah, you, yourself, and whatever. Like, what secret are you guys keeping? You know, yourself. And this is, you know, we're kind of want to wrap this up here, yes. but... When we're talking about a relationship with a partner, if you think about it, right? So we've been going through all this stuff and I'm like, I want to resume our marriage in that sense. I'm ready to love you. I want to do my own work. I don't want to put my crap on you. But it's an age old saying, you know, it's such a cliche, but you can only receive love to the level that you can love yourself. Absolutely. And it got to a point where this just was the biggest thing that you had to get through and the more I tried to put my love towards you, the more you had to reject me because you had to get to it this was, place of loving it yourself. A waste. It was a waste of your love. Total waste of my yeah. love. I should have been <laughs> loving a tree would have been out, better. I capped out way at the bottom. You know, I right. did not love myself, all of myself. That whole process is really scary. You know, I talked to you about it. You know, we're, I still don't know where everything ends up. And the point is, who cares even, right? It's not Stop what thinking. it's about. Think Stop, with your heart. Think with your heart. But 
it feels different now. It's felt different recently, maybe a little bit. Like it's going in a direction where we can connect again at least. Mm -hmm. And at the very least, going through it, I'm not even sure I would recommend it to everyone because it's been so hard. But at the very least, at least we've gone through it. Mm -hmm. Like, right? We're just continuing to try to walk the walk and dive the dive. Yes. And in that sense, it's scary. Anyone out there, like it's scary to let go of things, to let go of our attachments, even something like a marriage that you don't want to let go of, right? And want to get out of a marriage, but to let go of the binds because they hold us back from doing this type of work when it's time to do the work. Right. And it's not always time to do the work because hopefully we come out of this, we connect and then we explore it, we grow it mm -hmm. until maybe we've gotten entangled again and it's mm -hmm. time for the next level of growth. But when it is time, there is a path forward. There is a way to get through these times of disconnect, do your work and come out the other side. And it can look ugly at times. It can be scary at times. But if you kind of know the roadmap to get through it, it's worth its weight in gold. Yep. Amen, sister. Amen, sister. All right. <laughs> Till next time. Nothing okay. but love.